Good morning, church. How are you today? Would you stand and worship with us this morning? Our God is good. Amen.
stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God, sing that one more time. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Praise
these bones to live, call these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, oh Jesus, Jesus. You Silence, fear, oh Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus, your name is a light that the shadows can't deny, your name cannot be shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome come on sing that out it's your name is alive that the shadows can't deny your
bridge again. Cause your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Come on, sing that if you know it's true. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Would you declare that this morning? Cause your name is alive, that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is alive, forever lifted high. Your name cannot be overcome. Sing Jesus. Oh Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Oh Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Oh Jesus, Jesus. Oh. Would you give the Lord a shout of victory this morning? The battle has already been won. He is your hope. He is your future. Praise you, Heavenly Father. At that name of Jesus, every knee would bow. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. One more time. Sing, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you. Magnify your name. Hallelujah. 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 We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. Hallelujah. Prince of peace you are to us. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Ha, ha, ha. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you. Almighty One, the greater One who lives on the inside of us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
scripture was quickened to my heart within the last few weeks. I think it was in the service, and it just came to me again. In case you weren't here, might not have been. At destruction and famine, I will laugh. It's a, there's a, a song that we used to sing, and probably Pastor Mike and I are the only one. Jen, Jen, you might remember this. Do you know this song? Jen knows it. You want to come sing it? Anyway, it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, but it goes like this. Oh, Bonnie might remember it. You remember it? It goes, at, destru at destruction and famine. And Chris remembers, I will laugh. I will laugh. At destruction and famine, I will laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha, devil, you are defeated. At destruction and famine, I will laugh. That's a scripture. Hallelujah. And boy, I tell you, the glorious church, you know what that's all about? When the world around us is falling apart, and some Christians too. For the word of God says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. How much we need the word of God. Thank God for his word and thank God for the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Who quickens his word to us, who strengthens us, who leads us. I encourage you to draw nearer to him now than you ever have done before. Draw nearer to his word. Draw nearer to him in prayer. Then you will be able to say from your spirit at destruction and famine, I will laugh. Ha, 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 ha. Hallelujah. Amen. Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. We can have joy because we have inside information. We can have peace because we have inside information, inside the Bible information. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's great to see everybody this morning. Why don't you turn around and greet several people, introduce yourself to them. After you've done that, you may be seated. We're going to dismiss our children to kids' class at this time. And for those of you who are worshiping with us, online today on YouTube, we're going to upload later to Facebook. We're not on Facebook today, uh, but we will upload the service later. So those of you who are worshiping with us on YouTube, we're so glad that you're here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you that we can gather, thank God that we can gather together as the family of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, we just want to let you know, uh, I'm going to speak to the elephant in the room, which is we, uh, we have cameras in different places today. Did anyone not notice that? Raise your hand. Yeah. Anyway, we have, it's been a year ago, maybe a little bit more, I don't quite recall. I quit counting the months because, as you well know, there are still many boats off of the port in Long Beach, right? I guess. I quit looking at it after a while. And anyway, so we were uh, redoing, updating some of our cameras. We needed to update it to various systems. 
everything that we had was quite ancient. And we have a lot of people that watch us online as well as on TV on Sunday mornings. And so we had to update our we had to update our stuff. And we started it, I think it was over a year ago. And we've had, in case you 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 the women probably noticed, not necessarily the men, all the boxes. In, uh, behind the information center. We have had all that because we were waiting on one piece that was the most important piece to be able to put it all together. And thank God it came about two weeks ago. So the, yes, thank the Lord. So the guys are working on it. Um, it's still a work in uh, a progress. And so we're, so we're so grateful to be able to reach beyond the four walls of our church. Amen. And um, anyway, we, we were patient beyond patience with this, and um, <laughs> I quit counting the months. I just quit counting the months. Uh, so anyway, that is what's going on with that. We did want to let you know a praise report. Um, how many of you, I don't know if you remember, Jared and Tally Shaw, they moved back to Missouri. Yeah, last, oh, it's been maybe around a year ago. Uh, to be with uh, both of their parents, were mothers actually, that were becoming elderly, they were uh, over 120 elderly. I don't want to say like they were a certain age because if somebody here is that age, I don't want to call you elderly. So that's why I said 120. Anyway, they're not quite that elderly. But anyway, they went back there to, to help their parents. And um, Jared and Tally had been married many years. I'm sorry, I don't recall how many. And been believing God for children. Well, she had a beautiful baby girl this past week. Yeah, and I'm so sorry. She sent me a, a text, but she <laughs> she had mom brain, so she forgot to send me a picture. Otherwise, I would put a picture up there. But Anita has a picture, and she is a beautiful little girl. We're so happy for them. And so, um, so anyway, we thought you would like to hear that. Tonight is our night of worship here at the church at 6 o'clock. And so uh, make the time to be with us. It's going to be, and we expect, a glorious time tonight together in the presence of God. Amen. We also have um, uh, services for the children as well, and they'll have a night of worship too. Then Tuesday night, ladies, um, we have a Bible study here at the church. Uh, it's at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll have a little bit of worship. We'll be praying together. And what I'm going to be uh, teaching on this uh, Thursday night uh, and what we're going to also be discussing, I've never done before. And um, so you'll want to come and see what that is. I've never, ever done it before. Brother Hagen used to do little teasers like that. Try to get, you know, like, oh, what could it be? Well, it's going to be something from the Bible, that's for sure. Anyway, so uh, join us, ladies, uh, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And then um, just check your bulletin. We have dates in there for Vacation Bible School, Kids Camp, and Youth Camp. So be sure that you uh, check check that. Praise the Lord. We're going give to give you an opportunity to give this morning. You can find envelopes around the seats if you want, or you can give electronically. If you, for some reason, there's not an envelope by you, if you want to lift up your hand, the ushers can serve you with an envelope. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, you said in your word to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. And so, Father, we are tithers. We are givers. 
and we refuse to worry about the future or our jobs or provision because you are El Shaddai. You care for us. And so we cast, we cast the care on you, and we thank you, Lord, for meeting our needs in abundance in the name of Jesus. And because we believe that, we praise you. So I want us to just lift our hands right now, and let's just thank God. Let's just thank God together. Lord, we thank you for provision. We thank you for increasing our businesses. You said that in the time of famine, you blessed Isaac a hundredfold. So even if people around us uh, do not have enough, do, their businesses don't have enough, their business is going down. Father, you blessed Isaac because he sowed in the time of famine. And so we thank you for it. And because we cast our care on you, and because we refuse to worry about it, we know you're working on our behalf. You're working for us. Then we praise you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for meeting our needs in abundance. Thank you for making us a blessing unto others. In Jesus' name, if you can agree with that, say amen, amen. Amen. Once you've been given an opportunity to give in the offering, would you stand with us and worship one more time?
Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for opening our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. We bless you, Father. We thank you for all the great things that you have done and the even greater things that are yet to come. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24 to give some context to the verses of Scripture we want to read this morning. The previous chapters in Matthew, the previous two chapters, is Jesus talking to the multitudes and his disciples. And he makes some outstanding statements. One is that he identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those that are around have a hard time with that, as you could well understand. And so they, they called him on it. And Jesus, in the perfect wisdom and love of God, puts them in their place. Sometimes the word of God, the love of God, confronts us. And in chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, Jesus went out from where he was talking to the multitudes and the disciples, and he departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, folks, this is kind of odd that the Bible would tell us that the disciples were pointing out things, buildings and furnishings and the equipping of the, the Herod's temple. Because Jesus has been there off and on all of his life. So I'm not really sure what the disciples were trying to bring to his attention that he hadn't already known and talked to them about. But nevertheless, Jesus said unto them, See not all these things? Verily I say unto thee, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So the disciples were impressed, apparently, with the beauty of Herod's temple, but Jesus was not because it was not a place that was built or dedicated to God, but rather it was a sign of Herod and his great wealth. And as he sat down upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So apparently the end times is going to be a time of great deception. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must, yet, must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. This word nation is the word ethnos. It means race, uh, races of people. So there will be ethnic groups rising against other ethnic groups and kingdom against kingdoms, that means countries, against other countries. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. 
And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of God, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Jesus mentioned several things about the end. And most of the, um, uh, the remaining information here in chapter 24 has to do with the nation of Israel and not the church. The nation of Israel, for, by and large, will go through and experience the tribulation. Of course, any Jews that are saved and have given their hearts to the Lord, they will be raptured with the church. But Jesus mentions certain things and it's, it's almost as if it, uh, his description is event-driven. He's not talking very much, at least, about the hearts and the nature of people's hearts. He's talking about the results and the actions and the events will take. He tells us that we shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And then the next thing he mentions is first, excuse me, persecution. Now we can understand and should understand that these things that Jesus is talking about, we shall see some of them before the rapture. Not all of them. Because when they take place during the tribulation, the church will not be present for that. But there are certain things that he identifies that we are seeing setting itself in place even now. The wars and the rumors of wars, we understand and we hear a lot about that in the press. We've got the situation where Russia has invaded Ukraine and that's not the, the war that starts the tribulation, period. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that Russia will gather with them a coalition of armies, mostly Islamic nations, not entirely, but mostly. And they will attack together from the north, from the mountains of Syria, and into and against Israel. Now, the Bible tells us that that is the starting point for revelation, the tribulation period, excuse me, seven years of tribulation. And God destroys all these coalition armies in one day of fighting. And as a result, the weapons that, are, that were brought with this coalition army into the nation of Israel shall burn for seven years. Now that might be a reference to a nuclear attack, but at any rate, the nation of Israel is spared no matter what it is, and the seven years, the following seven years, which we know of as the, the tribulation period, those weapons will continue to burn throughout that whole time. That's why we know that it's the beginning of the tribulation period, because of the seven years for the weapons to burn. 
Then he talks about famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. We probably have more experience with earthquakes in that than anything in the list. But he does identify, Jesus identifies for us that there are certain things that will be different in the last days than in normal days. One of the things that he identifies is famine. And we know we've experienced over the last couple of years the shutdown, really global shutdown, that has caused a disruption in the supply chain. We, we see this thing with the baby formula going on around us. Folks, that shortage is, is completely manufactured. This was a, a result of policies, political parties and policies that have brought about and have set the world up for famine. One thing I remember reading, it's been some months ago, but they forecast that a million people would die from famine in the African continent. So we see and understand, or have a, a little bit of understanding from the things that we're witnessing and a witness to about how these things will take place. The pestilences, the pestilence that it talks about has to do with health issues, pandemics, and so forth. And Jesus identifies that all those things will be in place and taking place at the end of time or toward the end of time. And then he mentions persecution, the persecution of the church. They tell us, and you have to dig to find out this information, but they tell us that there are, are greater incidences of persecution against the church in other countries on other continents more so than there has ever been in the history of man. There are a lot of things that are in place and other things that will come to pass regarding the hatred of this world against the people of God. I'd like for you to turn with me to another passage of scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to the church, beginning in verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, folks, I want you to notice that list of sins that he identifies beginning in verse 2. I would submit to you and at least suggest for your consideration 
that there's not any new sins on that list. It's not like that Paul is saying men will be lovers of themselves like they never have been. Lying, traitorous, truce breakers, all those things have been going on among mankind from the beginning of time. So he's not saying that these will be new sins. These will be sins like we've never seen before. There's none of these sins in the list that we have any question about what they mean. There, uh, there may be a little uh, discrepancy in the language and the translation from the Greek to the English. But it's very easy to identify the meaning of the words and understand what he's saying. So why does he tell us about the last days and the condition of the world in the last days being a sinful experience? Folks, the thing that it seems to me to be the difference in this day over the last several years and anything prior to that is that men used to be ashamed of being involved in some of these sins. But now everything's right out in the open. I think that's one of the greatest changes in our country that we've seen ever, more so than ever before. It's like ungodliness is revealing itself and those that have joined themselves to ungodless behavior, godless behavior, they're right out in the open about it. They'll tell you what they're going to do and then follow through with it. No matter what tragedy or dis disaffection it has on the world. One of the things that people are, some people are disturbed about, some of the church is disturbed about, has to do with the vaccines that have been pushed on the world, pushed on mankind. And even now, the vaccines are being pushed on our children, even though all the data and all the information reveals to us that they're the, the lowest susceptibility group to pan the pandemic, particularly the coronavirus. They're experimenting with our, our kids. They're mandating certain vaccines even as from the age of, or from the, the time of birth without any information, without any even good guess of the effects, the long-term effects it's going to have on our kids. So when Paul tells us by the Holy Ghost the, ter the perilous times that are coming, the Bible identifies this word to also mean dangerous times. The danger, for the most part, is created by man rather than this being something that's an attack on, upon mankind 
that we could band together with and try to do something about. Folks, there are things that the Bible tells us that I think we get distracted from. For example, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the root of all evil. This vaccine stuff has a political component. Or maybe we should say it has a controlling component. But the action that has been taken by governments and political parties have created a situation where even the vaccines, some of the vaccines at least, are able to change our DNA. Turn with me now to something else that Paul said about the last days. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Folks, are seducing spirits and doctrines of devil ever a good thing? It's always evil. The word seducing has to do with drawing you away drawing someone away from that which is right and proper. Doctrines of devils can either mean doctrines uh, originated and influenced by devils, or it can be doctrines about devils. Verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a, with a hot iron, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Notice verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy. One of the things that's taking place around us in much greater degree than ever before is you've got political parties that are complaining about the other political party doing exactly what they're doing. Folks, I want to make sure that I'm clear on one thing, and that is I don't believe one political party is better than the other at this point. Now, it didn't used to be that way. And there's a lot of things about current events and things that are taking place that are kind of catching us off guard because in the past, wars were fought. When wars were fought, it was like there was the good guys versus bad guys. But now it's bad guys versus bad guys. This Russian-Ukrainian war, the situation is taking place now over in Europe. It's difficult for us. It's at least difficult for us to choose sides. You've got Putin, who's a bad guy, known to be a bad guy. And you've got Zelensky that nobody really knows much about, but the more we find out about him, he's a bad guy too. So who do you root for in a war where bad guys are fighting bad guys? That has not been the case to the great, greatest degree. That has not been the case of anything that we've experienced before. Now these seducing spirits 
are attempting to pull people away from that which is good and true, the truth of the word. And the devil is always on guard. He's always ready. And he's creating an environment for us as we said, it's the result of much political power and operation because the harder he can, the more pressure he can put on you or me or the church, the more pressure and more influence he can bring to bear, the more he can get people to pull away from the word. One last passage of scripture I want you to look with me on. Is Second Thessalonians chapter two. Paul again is speaking to the church, and he said, "Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand." In other words, Paul is saying that he's aware that people have sent out communication claiming to be from Him. And telling people that the, the, um, the Lord has already come and leaving them, ideally, I guess, in their estimation, leaving them without hope. But Paul is here to say and tell us why that is not the case. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now that word falling away means departure. Now what departure is he talking about? Well, in verse 1, he just said this was relative to and connected with the gathering of ourselves together unto the Lord, which would be the rapture. But this word falling away means departure from, from found doctrine too. It means an apostasy. So he's saying that some will depart from the faith. Certainly is, uh, is prophesied and pronounced. And notice that that falling away, including the rapture, comes before the Antichrist can be revealed. Now, I think we need to take special care or give special attention to the things about this vaccine. This COVID vaccine, which they had to redefine what the meaning of the word vaccine is because this COVID vaccination or vaccine does not in any way stop the transmission of the COVID virus. Now, in previous generations, that would mean that we don't have a vaccine. But in the day that we live in now, somehow or another, they're trying to push on us and get us to believe or accept that there's some value to this vaccine when in fact it really has little or no value at all. Well, if it doesn't have value and power to stop the transmission of the COVID virus, then what is it good for? And the answer to that is very simple. It's good for bringing people under control, under government control. There's a lot of things about 
the world that we're living in that really doesn't make sense unless you apply a spiritual application to it. The Bible says that one of the things that happened in the last days is that the truth will be rejected and the lie accepted. And that which is good shall be considered bad, and that which is bad shall be taught and pronounced as good. But back to verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now the temple that Paul is talking about is the temple that is still uh, in place Herod's temple that was talked about that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 Paul wrote this to Timothy somewhere around 62 maybe 63 AD and the temple was not destroyed until 70 AD so Paul mining the temple that exists we don't have any indication that he would have received any revelation about the destruction of Herod's temple and would therefore be talking about something else. But he does identify, even as Revelation identifies. In Revelation, the book of Revelation wasn't written until about 92, 92 to 95 A.D. So that would be somewhat around 30 years from the time that Paul is writing these things. So whatever he knows about the end time, he has to know by the Holy Ghost, not by the book that John would write later on. So he that he pronounces himself as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth or hinders that which he might be revealed in his time. He's talking about the Antichrist. He's saying, you know what's hindering him from appearing and revealing himself. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only now he who letteth, this is the same word withholdeth in verse 6. It means to hinder. He who now letteth or hinders will continue hindering until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Now that taken out of the way must mean the rapture of the church. Because immediately following the taking away, then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believeth not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So he's telling us a little bit about the condition of the world at the time of the rapture. He talks about strong delusion. 
and believing the lie. Now we know of the mark of the beast and the mark of the beast has always created a lot of concern and angst among Christians who do not know and understand the meaning of the, of the word of God in this respect. I wonder if what we're seeing with the vaccine and the way that those things are going, I wonder if the mark of the beast will be something similar to that. You've got a worldwide effort trying to force people to take a vaccine that does them no good. But certainly acknowledges that they allow themselves to be brought underneath government control. The mark of the beast is talked about in Revelation as being necessary to buy and sell. So you could see the pressure that that would be that would be put upon mankind, specifically the nation of Israel, since it happens during the tribulation period. So none of the vaccines that we have, as ridiculous as they might be or as dangerous as they might be, and of course we don't know what the real danger is because they hide the data, which is a good indication that it's something they don't want us to know. Well, what would that something be? Folks, it's very possible that the death rate of the vaccine is higher than the death rate of the coronavirus at this point. But it seems like we're seeing some of these things, maybe not all of them, but some of these things coming to pass. And having a dire consequence on our country along with the rest of the world. Now, the good news is that there are other signs for us to see regarding Jesus' return for the church. There are a lot of really obscure and minor details of things that are talked about throughout the Bible relative to the church one of the things that the Bible tells us will take place before the return of Jesus is that the Dead Sea will come to lie and that the Dead Sea, which is such a salt content, that it keeps anything from, it keeps the, the, the body of water from being, sustaining any life whatsoever. But the Bible, but the uh, report is that a couple of years ago, there were fish found in the Dead Sea. There are certain places, and it's not complete yet, but there are certain places, and they seem to be increasing, where fresh water is flowing into the Dead Sea. And that fresh water is sustaining fish and changing the, medical, uh, changing the chemical makeup of the Dead Sea itself. There's another prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about the disappearance of the red foxes. Apparently at one time, the Temple Mount was a place where there were many dens of foxes 
but they all disappeared. But now they have begun to be seen again on the Temple Mount. There are, there is an organization that's ready to rebuild the temple that has recreated all of the, of the furniture and the, the furnishings of the temple and all they need is just a couple of weeks to erect a new temple on the Temple Mount. That's always been a hot button issue, of course, because the idea was that the, uh, the mosque that's on the Temple Mount, the big golden dome thing that everybody sees in the pictures, there's another mosque there too, but it's underground in the place where Solomon's stables were. But the, the idea and part of the um, political and military strength is concerning to those Islamic groups that are there on the Temple Mount. Everybody's been holding their breath for decades that some nut doesn't get in there and bomb the Golden Dome Mosque because that would result in a, a, a worldwide war of the Islamic nations against Israel. But this group, the Temple Mount group, claims that the place where the temple should be rebuilt will not interfere with anything that the Islamic people have. And they're ready to go. All they need is a clear path to be able to do their work, which will probably come about in the destruction of the Russian coalition army on day one of the tribulation with the people that are destroyed by God, not just the armies that come out against Israel, but the Bible tells us that in all of those countries that join themselves with Russia, whether they supply troops or not, it says that there shall be a great judgment that comes upon them and mentions specifically hellfire and brimstone coming from the sky where only the sixth part of those nations, the people of those Islamic nations are left. Well, a sixth part of the people that are left of those countries that have joined themselves to Russia and the coalition army, that would do away with the military capability and would open the door wide to the Temple Mount organization where the rebuilding of the temple would begin. And as I said, it would take a short period of time because all of these elements have been fashioned and would simply have to be put in place 
and the temple could be rebuilt in just a very short period of time. So here we have certain things that are told to the church about the last days. And the comfort that's given to the church that identifies, first of all, that we won't be here for the tribulation period and things that, that are coming upon the world. We hear a lot about climate change, even though some, in some respects it's taken a back seat to some of the other more pressing events that are taking on around us. But some of the things that are going to happen during the tri tribulation period will bring destruction on the world. In one place it tells us that a third of the people shall be killed by what can be identified as a meteor strike. And there are other things involved with the climate that will be unleashed during the seven years of the tribulation period upon the earth. And all the time that's taking place, we're in heaven with Jesus. That's why Paul says, don't be troubled by these things. Jesus told us not to be troubled by the events that he identified. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us not to be soon shaken in mind or be troubled by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as even from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. He says we don't have to be troubled about anything relative to the last days and the destruction that the tribulation will bring. Now, there are, there's information and instruction that's given to us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, folks, Paul, and again, this book, the book of Hebrews, was written as an attachment to the book of Galatians. And these were things that were written before Paul's death, certainly. And he was supposed to have been beheaded somewhere around 66 AD. So these letters were prior to that. And Paul tells us by the Holy Ghost that the attitude of the church will change. That the attitude of the church in the last days will be where people stay away from church rather than go to church. One of the results that we see from the worldwide lockdown, and of course it's different in different countries, there's not a blanket statement you could really make about everybody, but there are some places, some countries 
where the lockdown had such an effect upon the church that some of those churches have never come back from the lockdown. We've certainly been affected by it to some degree. It's almost like after the lockdown, we exchanged people. A lot of the people that were part of us before that time, before the lockdown took place and before the church had to shut its doors, a lot of those people just gave up on church whatsoever. But then we've seen a lot of new people come in. I would estimate that probably half of the people that we had before the lockdown have come back to us and half have stayed away. Now, what did Paul know? What did Paul know about how people's attendance in church would be changed? What did he know and how did he know it? We were talking with some friends of ours, missionaries in Europe for the most part. They were forced out of their home and not allowed to come back in. They couldn't get another visa to return. So they're missionaries to Europe, but they can't get back in and minister to the people that they had, the churches that they started. And they told us that over there, there were probably 50% of the churches that closed their doors and never opened them back up. That's a form of persecution. Certainly originating by Satan working his way through mankind, particularly world governments, the governments of nations. And just like that, the church was minimized. No one even struck a blow against it. But because of the pandemic and the claims that were made regarding the pandemic, the church worldwide was decimated. Now, thank God for the Internet. Thank God for the ability that we have to broadcast teachings and services. But I'm not sure that that really takes the place of what church is supposed to be and to a great degree what church used to be. You remember how it used to be. It started off with being a lockdown or shutdown for two weeks to flatten the curve. Remember that saying? We're going to flatten the curve. 
Well, the curve didn't get too flat, apparently, because then we were told how many people we could have in attendance, and it was usually something around 10. And a lot of churches, bless their heart, a lot of churches fell in line with that. We were closed for, I'm told that it was five months. It didn't seem like that was that long to me. Eight or ten weeks. Well, you were the one that told me five months. <laughs> were you wrong then or are you wrong now? <laughs> However long we were shut down. Folks, we live in a world that's upside down and has been turned upside down. Paul knew somehow by the Holy Ghost. He didn't give us any more information, but he knew somehow by the Holy Ghost that people's attitudes toward church attendance would change. And not for their betterment, but to their detriment. Now there's a verse of scripture in Hosea chapter 6 that I want to read to you. Hosea chapter 6 verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he has torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. Folks, that's probably a reference. Verse three, verse two, rather, is probably a reference to the rapture. Remember, the Bible says that with the Lord a thousand years is as a day, and one day is as a thousand years. Well, there are places in the Bible, this being one of them, that those thousand year periods are identified as days. Here it says, after two days, that would be two thousand years. Will he revive us? In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. So that seems to be an indication of two days, 2,000 years from the beginning of the church, the establishing of the church at Jesus' resurrection. That seems to be a hint that sometime, and I would expect it to be a short time, after 2,000 years from when the church began, that that's when the rapture will take place. Verse 3, it says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going is prepared as the morning, and he will come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain upon the earth. Now what this scripture is telling us, it speaks directly to the fact that when the Bible talks about the rain, the early and the latter rain, it's talking about the Spirit of God. It's telling us that somewhere after those 2,000 years, Jesus is coming back for us.
But folks, we're right on top of that period of time now. In James chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early in the, la uh, early in the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. James is telling us what we can expect in the end time period. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. It's saying that there's a, a work of the Holy Ghost, a work of the Spirit of God that will bring people into the kingdom of God before Jesus comes back. Now, folks, God always saves the best to last. Now, with that in mind, where it tells us the Holy Ghost, it comes to as the early and the latter rain. The early rain is the rain that in Israel, the land of Israel, sets the planting of the seed into the ground. When they farm, talking about the people of Israel, when they farm, they need water to set the seed into the ground so that it can grow and produce and do a great harvest. Then at the end of the harvest, or the end of the period of time that brings about the harvest, the latter rain is poured out to maximize the yield of the harvest period. So just as Hosea 6.3 tells us that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is that which is being spoken about when the early and the latter rain are identified, it tells us that the only thing Jesus is waiting for is the end time harvest of people being brought into the family of God. You remember in Matthew chapter 24 where we started in verse 14 Jesus concludes his information, primary information about the end time activities where he said in this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. That uh, word or phrase for a witness means with mighty power Miracles and power of God. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations for a witness with power, supernatural power, spectacular power of God, and then shall the end come. So we have to look forward to a great revival prior to Jesus' return for the church. Now what is the great revival going to look like? What will that appear, or how will that appear to us to identify what we should expect? Well, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us about the Holy Ghost, which was poured out on the disciples in the upper room, spilled out into the streets, and the speaking in tongues that, accompany, that accompanies 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit brought 3,000 people into the kingdom of God in one day. Well, if that's the early rain, then what's the latter rain going to be? That was the setting of the seed, so to speak, the foundation for the harvest that we're still reaping benefits from today. So if the early rain included the manifestation of the Holy Spirit to have such an effect upon that city, the city of Jerusalem, so that 3,000 people got saved, what should we expect to happen now that the gospel and the church has been spread worldwide? Another thing that the Spirit of God identifies in the Word is healing. In Acts chapter 3, the man at the beautiful gate asked in alms of Peter and John. The Holy Ghost came upon Peter and he told him to stand and walk and immediately his ankle bones received strength and he leaped and walked speaking and praising God for his healing. Now the Bible tells us that 5,000 people saved as a result of that. 5,000 people gave their hearts to the Lord from seeing one miracle, and it was a notable miracle, but from seeing one miracle take place in the city of Jerusalem. So if the early rain brought an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and miracles of healing, then wouldn't we expect the latter rain too as well? What's the difference in the early and the latter rain except when they come? It's not a different rain in the early time and a, and a, than a different rain than it is in the, in the later times. Rain is rain. It only has to do with the timing, not the substance of the rain itself. Now there's something else that I'd like for you to Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. There's another thing that's, that's often overlooked when it comes to a, uh, the benefits or the definition for the latter rain. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold possessions and goods and parted, to them, parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and taking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now look with me also to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. This is after Peter and John were called before the religious council and called to task for preaching in the name of Jesus. Verse 32 of Acts 4, And the multitude of them which believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. 
and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the prices of those things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who was by the apostles, surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Folks, there was a supernatural activity of giving that was a part of the early reign. Now, the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. And I believe with all my heart, you judge this for yourself, but I believe with all my heart there are going to be financial miracles in these last days like we've never seen before. And people's hearts will be turned. They will become givers instead of hoarders. And the wealth of the wicked shall in great degree be brought into the hands of the people of God. Now there's something else that we need to point out as well. Acts chapter 5 tells us the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They see other people selling their property and bringing the returns to the church. And they wanted to be thought of in that group as well. They sold a piece of land and told the disciples, Peter's the one leading them at that point, they told Peter that that was the entirety of the sale, the proceeds of the sale of the property. Peter calls him into question, and he asks him a question, why did you lie to the Holy Ghost? The Bible says that Ananias fell down dead right where he stood. Well, two people came to get him and take him out to bury him. And a couple of hours later, when they came back to where they were still having church, Sapphira came in and Peter asked her how much they sold the property for and she told the same lie her husband told her. And she falls dead in church too. Now, folks, I want to submit something to you. How many people die a week for lying to the Holy Ghost? There was something special about this story and the incidents that surround it. If just lying to the Holy Ghost was an instant death, church attendance would fluctuate greatly from week to week. There's a reason that the story of Ananias and Sapphira are there. I'm not sure I've got the totality or know all the things about it, but I do know a little bit about it, and that is in the beginning of the church, God protected the church and the people, his people, 
against false prophets or false ministers. Apparently, and if this were not the case, then I don't know why the previous chapter tells us about Barnabas being recognized for his giving whatever he sold unto the Lord. But Ananias and Sapphira did not have the same heart. They didn't have the same motives as as, uh, Barnabas had. Going over to chapter 5. After these things take place, verse 12, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Apparently that's what Ananias and Sapphira were trying to do. Trying to take some position of leadership in the church. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by them might might overshadow some of them. And there came out also a multitude of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Folks, if that's a, a description of the early reign of the Holy Ghost, then what's the latter reign supposed to look like? Or maybe we should ask it this way, why should the latter reign look any different than the early reign? Have we gotten so smart and we've established the Word of God into our lives to such a degree that we don't need the miracle-working power of God anymore? Well, if that's the truth, we sure made a bad swap, bad trade. Now, what does the Bible tell us to do concerning the last days and this latter rain? Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. The Bible has established that this is the time for the latter rain. Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds. This word bright cloud also is translated lightnings in the book of Job. It's a description of the power of God. So the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings or his power to be made known and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. The only thing the Bible tells us to do regarding the early and the latter rain is pray for it. So let's pray for it. Why don't you stand with me? We'll start off standing and then if you want to sit down, you can. Father, we come to you in the precious and holy name of Jesus. In obedience to your word. You told us in the time of the latter rain, the end times of the church, and we are certainly upon that. You asked us to ask you for it. And you said, Father, that you would make bright clouds or a display of your power 
and give us showers of rain. Moving of the Spirit of God. Events that bring multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. So we ask you, Father, we ask you that the Holy Ghost would move upon our church, upon the people of the church, and that you would make open doors for them to share the truth of Jesus and the comfort of the Holy Spirit into their lives. Father, the disciples prayed in Acts chapter 4 after they were threatened and commanded not to teach or speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They went back to their own company and they prayed for boldness. And now, Lord, grant unto your servants boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Father, we see that there is a boldness that comes only by the healing power of God. And that's what we ask you for. Give us boldness, Father, to speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Holy Spirit, we know that this is what we're supposed to pray for, but we don't know how to completely pray apart from our understanding so, Holy Spirit, we thank you in advance for giving us utterance to speak the word of God. Giving us utterance to pray according to the plans and purposes of God himself. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the latter rain. Thank you for the power to heal the sick. Thank you, Father, for leading us and guiding us by the Holy Spirit. But even more importantly, Father, we thank you that the Holy Ghost gives us utterance to pray. That we might pray and ask you for the latter rain. 
any and every time that we think of it. Father, we thank you for provision, great provision. We thank you for miracles of finances. Thank you, Father. Thank you, blessed Father. Use us, Lord, as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Father. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. You always hear us. Bless you, Lord. Say it with me. Thank God for the latter rain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.